Hey, good evening, Five Oakers here, and good morning to those that are joining us on tomorrow and Sunday. An unusual weekend, a unique weekend with us uh, having to adjust with parking lot situation, but glad for those that were able to attend this evening. Hey, we are in week seven of our series on Matthew, and this series has been just about meeting Jesus. And the big idea in this series has really been what we've been saying each week, that meeting Jesus is a transformative encounter that redirects us in a new and exciting direction. That's the message that Matthew is trying to uh, communicate by how he tells the story of um, Jesus here in chapters 8 and 9. And today we're going to look at a passage, Matthew 9, uh, 9 to 13, in your Bibles, in the seat rack in front of you, I believe it's uh, page 973. And we do use the NIV Bible here, so um, that is our text here. And as we usually say here at Five Oaks, uh, while you turn in your Bibles, I want to remind you that understanding the Bible does not have to be a mystery. It tells the story of God, and understanding our part in God's story doesn't have to be a mystery either. So I also want to remind everybody, especially as we uh, don't have any excuse because we'll have a nice new parking lot here coming up, to think about friends or people that are seeking Jesus, that we could invite them here in the coming weeks to join us and be part of our family. But as we start now, let's just um, pray together the prayer to start. Heavenly Father, by your Holy Spirit, open our minds that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may meet Jesus, be transformed by him, and follow him wherever he leads for the sake of your glory and your worldwide mission. Amen. Let's uh, listen as we hear some five ochres read the passage today for us. Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the wealthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Hey, a few weeks ago, we were in Capernaum. And today we're back in Capernaum as we look at Matthew 9. And you may remember in your Bible, if you look at it, the calling of Matthew, it um, might have, a, if you have a red-letter Bible, it has uh, the red-lettered words, follow me, highlighted there. And that's the big idea that we're going to discuss right now today. What does it really mean to, have, to follow me, to follow Jesus? What are the implications of this today? You know, a few weeks ago when we were last in Capernaum, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law and many others. And then as he, as he was going down to the lake, you'll remember a teacher of the law and another disciple came up to him. The teacher of the law said, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. Do you remember what Jesus' reply was? 
Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Strange. Another disciple came up and said, Jesus, I'll follow you, but first let me bury my father. Remember what Jesus said to him? Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. And for those that weren't here a few weeks ago, remember that expression was just an idiom. That he, his father was alive. It's just an idiom that was used back then to say, I need more time. I want to postpone this decision. But what we had the first time we were in Capernaum, we had two individuals that said, Jesus, I'll follow you. And Jesus gives them an answer that seems a little maybe strange. He's questioning their intentions. So today, we're going to look at the call to Matthew where he says, follow me. And we're going to look at the reaction that others have to how Matthew responded. To, to set this up, I really uh, like the way The Chosen had actually done this scene. So I think if we could put up this, the video from The Chosen, get a little bit of tension what's happening here. A mother of a son with talent like yours should be proud. She's ashamed that I could use the talent that God gave me against God. Next. You're good at something. You found a way to make a living doing it. It's that simple. Must be nice to live in a world so simply ordered. We live in the same world, Matthew. Next. Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours? Matthew. Matthew, son of Alphaeus. Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy's done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to... What are you doing? Where do you think you're going? Guys, let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're gonna throw it all away. Yes. I don't get it. You didn't get it when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. I'm glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? I grabbed it without thinking. You can put it back. No, no, keep it. 
you may yet find use for it. Where are we going? A dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. You're the host. Wow, can you feel the tension in Peter's voice? Peter goes, Jesus, do you know what you're doing? Yeah. Do you realize he's a tax collector? Yeah. Peter's just baffled. He's... But let me have a disclaimer. If any of you do work, or um, tax collectors back then are not the uh, peers of today's IRS. So uh, if any of you, um, we may cringe when we have to pay taxes, we may fear audits, but our people that do work with IRS do work for our government and they work for us. So if you work for a, uh, a tax agency, don't take any offense on this video or any comparisons. It's not you. But tax collectors at this time, they worked for the opposing government. Here's a better illustration. Think of what's happening in Ukraine right now. Russia has invaded eastern Ukraine, and what they're doing is they're putting their puppet mayors in their city. They're taking out the government that is there, the Iranians, and they're putting in people that are uh, loyal to Russia. That's more similar to what we're seeing here in this situation here. Um, the Romans are pursuing their world expansion, and they would then go into these cities and they would hire local Jews who would collaborate with them. And they were considered by the Jewish community political traitors. As the video showed here, they're more like customs agents. And they had a, a wide breadth of things they could do. They remember Capernaum is on the sea, so people are coming, passing through, and they're able to stop a person saying, I think this much is worth this much. You owe this much tax. They, got to make, they were able to decide what the tax would be. They had a quota they had to send to Rome, and they got to pocket the difference. That way in the video, the Roman soldier is saying, Matthew, you can't do any better than this. That's the tension that's happening here. These tax collectors, they were disgusting to the Jews. The synagogue, which was central to the life of the community, excommunicated them. So they were persons non grata. They were sellouts, universally hated. They were considered to be in the same class as robbers and murderers. And that's who Jesus calls the reaction here from P Peter in the video, think of what it could have been like. Peter saying, Jesus, it was just a little while ago. We were at my mother's-in-law's house. You had two well-qualified people that said they were going to follow you. One was even a teacher of the law. Jesus, we're starting a movement. And for those of us that have been in business, when you start a movement, you want the best people. You want the people that bring value to the movement. You want, to have, you want to have people that have credentials, the ones that bring the needed skills. You don't want a tax collector, somebody who's considered an extortionist and probably even a terrorist. But Jesus simply walked up to Matthew and just said, Matthew, follow me. Matthew goes, me? Yes. 
John Calvin, a French theologian during the 1500s, says this reminds us that the calling of all of us isn't on any merits of our own righteousness, but only on his sheer generosity, on God's sheer generosity. Follow me. Jesus calls Matthew and us to follow him. What does it mean? What is this call? Follow me is a call to decisive and intimate fellowship with Jesus. To follow Jesus means you're not setting your path. The video shows the Roman guard confronting Matthew and saying, do you realize what you're doing? What you'll be giving up? That if you pursue this path following Jesus, you lose all the benefits that the Roman government has provided you? And if you looked at the video, did you see him pull, pull off his ring? That gave him extra credibility. He wasn't a Roman citizen, but he was a little higher than the Jews. It was sort of like uh, he had a, a quasi-status there. But he gave it all up. Follow me means a new direction. Follow me means you'll be spending time with Jesus. Follow me infers a personal relationship. Follow me means change. Where's Matthew's response? He got up and followed Jesus. I, I love the little sense of humor there when they ask him in the video, what's that tablet? And uh, Jesus says, you know, keep it. And I said, yeah, he probably wrote Matthew on his little tablet. And I'm saying, Matthew, couldn't you have given us a few little verses here? What, what were the emotions going through when Jesus came up to you and said, follow me? Couldn't you have given us a few verses, what you were thinking? No, but Matthew just said, I want the focus to be on Jesus. I got up. The focus is on Jesus. Where does Jesus go? To Matthew's house. And Matthew's guests are all his known associates. Jesus has a meal at Matthew's house. And a meal during uh, biblical times wasn't like what we'd say a business lunch of today, where you get together, you introduce yourself, you talk about the new roles, um, you share a little bit of family experiences. Sharing a meal in Bible times was a sign of identification. And for a Jewish rabbi like Jesus to be eating with a tax collector is scandalous. It's scandalous. What is happening to Jesus' reputation? And even today, we ask the same question. You know, we say it to our kids. We say, you have to manage your own reputation. And, you know, hang out with the smart kids. Uh, who are you sitting with in the cafeteria? And I'm pragmatic and a realist. I realize that you become like the people who you spend the most time with and you eat with. But that's the question the Pharisees are asking. Let's look in our Bible at verse 11 here. And verse 11 is saying, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Okay, Pharisees are asking that question. And when we think of the Pharisees, our normal reaction is we think of them as legalists. We see them as the bad guys in the New Testament. 
They were the ones who schemed to have Jesus crucified. But that's not fair to describe the Pharisees like that. Yes, at one point it gets more confrontational. But at this time, the Pharisees were the respected biblical leaders in the community. They knew their scriptures. They were extremely disciplined in seeking daily routines that would honor God. The Pharisees were called the separated ones, unlike the Sadducees. The Pharisees said, we're not going to assimilate in Roman culture. We're not going to take on Roman practices. We're going to follow Yahweh. We're going to follow our God. So the Pharisees are asking a legitimate question. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? To give you a sense of this, I, I pulled up uh, Psalm 26. If we can have that up. Because the Pharisees would have known this. Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind, for I have always been mindful of your unfailing love and have lived in reliance on your faithfulness. I do not sit with the deceitful, nor do I associate with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evildoers and refuse to sit with the wicked. So the biblical scholars of that day, the Pharisees, they know that verse and they're saying, how do I put this into practice? And then they see Jesus eating with tax collectors. Jesus, you're eating with sinners, deceitful tax collectors. They're no longer part of the synagogue. They're not part of our community. How can you be faithful? Doesn't the Psalm say, I refuse to sit with the wicked? Jesus is showing them a new way to understand, follow me. Follow me is first a call to decisive and intimate fellowship with Jesus. Matthew took that first step. He accepted the call from Jesus to follow. And I realize that many of us here, we've taken that first step. At some point, we all responded to that call from Jesus. For us, the call was and is a decisive and an intimate fellowship. It, it's become central to our lives. Follow me, though, is something we can't do alone. Follow me is a call to friendships. Follow me is a call to friendships. It includes having Jesus join your friends, not leave them. Yeah, we can still keep our friends. Jesus demonstrated that by saying, I'm going to your house today, Matthew. You're the host. He didn't require Matthew to separate from his friends. Jesus entered into his world. And I understand the nuance here. If it's something that's illegal, if it's something that's causing harm, or it's something that's immoral, yeah, then we have to separate. I get that. But what Jesus is showing us is that if you're going to give grace to people and you're going to be redemptive, that's going to involve hanging out with other people who've got problems, maybe a different list of problems than yourself. I think we're one slide off. If you... There we go. 
Jesus was showing us that if you're going to give grace to people, if I want to give grace, I want to be redemptive, I have to hang out with people who've got problems and probably a list of problems different from myself. Becky and I celebrated, my wife Becky and I celebrated our 45th wedding anniversary this year. During my career, I had to travel a lot for business and my business mentor suggested that I find something that Becky and I could do together. Something that we could experience together. Becky was staying home from the kids and I was flying off frequently over to Europe. So for our 25th wedding anniversary, I decided to take my business mentor's radical mentoring and take it to heart and do something that Becky and I could do together that we could complement each other as we celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. I bought my bride three goats. There's actually one goat and two babies. And as Becky immediately noticed, the goat had silver ears. 25th, I didn't realize 25th wedding anniversary was silver. Um, neither of us knew anything about goats. But the folks who sold us the goat invited us to be their friends. The common theme in this new community was goats. Yes, we gained tremendous and valuable knowledge on how to raise goats, how to treat sick goats, how to show goats at Washington County Fair, State Fair, National Fairs. These were friends that I could call at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I did when I was trying to deliver a goat, and I needed help. They'd show up in the barn. But here's the real identity. It wasn't just doing goats. It was sharing life experiences with them. Because some of these new friends, they had health issues. Some were caring for parents. Some were without jobs. Some were changing jobs. Some had marriage issues. Some had kids' issues, the two-legged kids, not the, the four. <laughs> One even had their barn burned down. In short, Becky and I had entered a world where we were experiencing life through their eyes and their situations. We were listening to their stories, letting them hear, letting them hear ours. So here's the question. What about you? Who are you hanging out with? Who are you listening to in order to be redemptive? I'm not suggesting everyone buy a goat. Though the Washington County Fair is still going and you could go up there tonight yet and buy a goat. Jesus' first demonstration of friendship was very dramatic. But in 2023, we have lots of options. Jessica Gross is a New York Times opinion writer. And she wrote a few, an article a few weeks ago. It was titled, uh, The Church of Group Fitness. And in her survey, she reported that she was surveying why are people leaving the church. Perhaps, no surprise, the number one reason people were leaving the church, they found it too cliquish. So what has become 
the number one alternative. According to the article here, Jessica Gross said, it's become athletics and fitness. And a comment that struck me as I was reading the article, the person I was describing their experience with doing CrossFit. She goes, the one thing I feel out of a CrossFit, it's kind of goofy, but when I'm in CrossFit, I receive unconditional love. Wow. Unconditional love in CrossFit, but not found in the church. Here's our opportunity. Jesus demonstrated eating with tax collectors. They could be friends. Could be those for you that are doing CrossFit. Obviously, we have pickleball here, book clubs. We live in Minnesota. We have fishing. We have hunting. We have hiking. Many of us live on a cul-de-sac. Here's one that, that had me laughing. The Wall Street Journal reported uh, two weeks ago, front page news, mushroom foraging is so popular, Minnesota plans a crackdown. I had to laugh. And then as you read the article, they were saying, why are people going muscle uh, mushroom foraging? One person said it provides a deeper connection. And another person quoted saying it's more spiritual for her. Wow. And I, I, the reason I was laughing is in the last two months, I've had two people, two families that are in Five Oaks. And one of them's out here in the audience. We're not going to point them out and embarrass them. And not even going to highlight him just because he left Kentucky to come up here to Minnesota. We thought it was to be near his kids. But he heard our mushrooms are really phenomenal up here. And I didn't realize, I thought he just wanted to pick mushrooms. But I didn't know he was looking for this deeper connection. But could these be the groups that Jesus is calling us to have a meal with? To listen to their stories? To share our story? And what's the first excuse we give? When somebody asks us to add something to our schedule, it's usually, I'm too busy. Don't we say, I don't have time to do one more thing. I'm exhausted. I need me time. But the need for us to engage in friendships is more needed today than ever. More than we realize. Here's another survey that I found recently. This is a survey looking at the past 30 years of friendship decline in uh, male and female in the United States. What the survey said here in 2021, that 15% of men, 10% of women have zero friends. Zero. When you take it out a little further and add some columns, how about two friends or less? The survey said 33% of men, 32% of women say they only have two friends or less. One out of three, basically. Here we live in the country that's probably been the most prosperous the world has ever seen. Yet the number one thing we're hearing is they're lonely. When Jesus asked Matthew to follow him, he didn't ask Matthew to walk away from his friends. 
Yet he did ask Matthew to walk away from a way of life to a new purpose, but not to walk away from relationships. Jesus joined Matthew at his house, and what did they do? They had a party. And you know, work post-pandemic has created a new environment for us to really engage. Is this the opportunity now for us to have that traditional coffee break or that lunch break with our neighbors who are just working from home? How many neighbors do we have that are within a two-minute walk of our house? And if the statistics are right and can be believed, one out of three of those that's around you is looking for friendship, wants to share their story. David French is another New York Times columnist. He wrote an article, too, on friendship decline in the United States. He describes a friendship that he has with a person named Leo. Okay, David French is white, conservative, and was raised in the South. His friend Leo is a former Mormon, former Catholic, and agnostic Mexican-American Democrat. Not the two people you normally would think be friends. How did Leo this Mormon Catholic agnostic Mexican-American Democrat show his friendship to David. He went to church with him every week, though he didn't believe any of it. When he asked, why do you go every week? He said this. He says, friends do stuff together, and the greater the personal challenge, the the more the word together means. Wow. What's the point? And I like the way that David um, actually summarizes the article. He summarizes the article this way. He said, we should remember that while we can have only the tiniest impact on a large number of people, we can have a large impact on a small number of people. You can be a friend, you can extend yourself, you can move out of your comfort zone. We were not created for power or prosperity, but for community and fellowship. That's coming from a New York Times opinion writer. We We were created not for power or prosperity, but for community and fellowship. I found it pretty enlightening, and I I chose New York Times writers specifically uh, as I was writing this uh, over the last weeks because it's a paper that we normally don't think that's reflective of Christian values. And I said, I get that. That's true. But when they're telling us what they're seeing and sensing from friends that are outside our inner ring... Time for us to listen, to hear, to seize that opportunity, knowing that one out of three is, is asking and come into my world. Follow me is a call to a decisive and intimate relationship with Jesus. Follow me is a call to friendships. Follow me is lastly a call for mercy. Verse 11, we read it and it said, Jesus said, or the Pharisees were saying, why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? And the chosen has Peter. 
the video had Peter asking that same question. So I, I suppose we could have a little liberty here. Peter's probably looking at the Pharisees and saying, you're asking me? That's way above my pay grade. I'm just a fisherman. I have no idea why he's eating with tax collectors. Jesus answers for, for Peter. Peter actually, or Jesus actually answers the Pharisees with two thoughts. The first we see in verse 12. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And that's a pretty straightforward explanation. You know, if you're sick, you go to see a doctor. Doctors treat sick people. A doctor does not avoid sick people. A doctor comes in contact with sick people so to assist them in getting well. So Jesus is saying, like a doctor, I have come here to help sick people, to provide them healing, and I'm going to provide a path for sinners to have healing. Okay, that makes sense. It's the second one that caught my attention. Matthew ends or adds this other verse in 13. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's a verse that's coming out of Hosea, the prophet Hosea. Luke and Mark do not record this. They record the verses 12 and the end. The, Luke and Mark records, not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Luke and Mark don't add that other clause there, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus could have quoted some of the other prophets because there's other prophets that talk about mercy. Why would Jesus pick Hosea? I'll give you my theory. It's Philip's thought. Hosea was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. Hosea was told to marry a woman who was going to be unfaithful to him. Hold it. God's calling I'm going to call you to be a prophet. Hosea says that they had three children. The first child was from Hosea. The, the next two children were not Hosea's kids. As we go into Hosea, we go to like chapter three of Hosea, something happened to his wife named Gomer. We're not sure what, but she left him. And God says, go buy her back. So Hosea has to by his wife who's been unfaithful to him for 15 shekels of silver and a few bushels of barley. That's humiliating for a prophet. Humiliating for any person. But for a prophet, this, Hosea was God's choice. And I think that's why Matthew included that. Because he said, I'm not the likely one, but God wanted to demonstrate unconditional love to Israel through Hosea. And Matthew, not the expected person, God says, but you're my choice. Jesus says, you're my choice. Two unlikely people following Jesus. That's just my thought. Could be wrong on that. It's okay. But it's something to ponder. And um, it's a reminder that when we have our daily readings and prayers, um, it gives us insights in Scripture and let's us just ponder things. But here is clearly what it is saying in verse 13. 
Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Go and learn is another idiom that's used by rabbis at this time. It actually could be translated, uh, go do your homework. The, the Greek tense is actually a command. So he's actually commanding them, go do your homework. And we remember what homework was like. It involves study, it involves thinking about the lecture. You have to answer discussion questions. If you're in a chat room group, you have to engage in that chat room group. Jesus is telling them to go study, learn what it means to desire mercy. And I love what Tim Keller says when he describes uh, what is mercy. Tim Keller says, mercy is love, service, and compassion to people who are not like you. Do we care for outsiders like Matthew? Or do we avoid them somewhat like the Pharisees did? And for the Pharisees, they thought they had good reasons. Do your homework. Jesus didn't give us a list of to-dos when answering this question. He just gave us the example. Hang out with your friends. Eat with them. Hear their stories. Answer their questions. Follow me is a call for decisive and intimate fellowship with Jesus. For us to be redemptive, for us to be Christ's followers, we need to hang out with others. And I did, I did have my weird sense of humor. I thought it's sort of funny. We had this passage today when we don't have a parking lot. And I said, if God has a sense of humor, is he saying, yeah, you people at Five Oaks, you don't have a parking lot today. Go hang out with others today. You can't hang out in the parking lot. But next week you'll have a parking lot. And don't call it a parking lot. Make it the welcome mat. Invite your friends in. For all of us, it's a time to do our homework. And kids out here, you can tell your parents they have homework to do tonight. For a lot of us, it's just an affirmation to keep on doing what we're doing. Perhaps even take more time, be more intentional. Maybe I'll go pick some mushrooms this week. Let me pray. Father, thank you. The call was so clear to Matthew and so decisive. Simple words, follow me. And you didn't throw up a lot of preconditions on what we had to do in order to be able to follow. You said, let me just come into your life. Let's walk alongside each other. Learn from me, follow my example. Father, give us that grace to be redemptive. Give us, sometimes it's just the courage to hang out with people and listen to their problems or their situations that are just not ours. Make us better listeners in that way. Help us to really desire mercy. To be able to look at somebody and say, I can give love, service, and compassion to this person. They're different from me, but I can do it because I follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.